In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was from the family line of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. But when she heard this, Mary was deeply disturbed and wondered what sort of greeting this could be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and will be called the Son of God. Look, even your cousin Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and is in her sixth month. She who is said to be infertile, so nothing is impossible for God. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it all happen to me just as you have said. And the angel left her. Well, I think you're going to get me instead of the sand Bible. So I won't be as animating, but let me open up God's Word. Let's hear from that reading. And then uh, we'll get into our message tonight. We're reading from the Gospel of Luke, so Luke's account of Jesus of life, and we're in, uh, we're in chapter 2. We heard before from chapter 1, now we are in chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the prophets said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Uh, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word and that account by Luke of that first Christmas night, early hours of the morning. May we hear it fresh tonight as we come before you. Amen. Well, I got thinking about this time last year. And this time last year, we had an unexpected visitor in our house. Uh, we didn't invite her. She just kind of flew into our lives, um, literally. Uh, she was a pineapple conya, which is a little bird. It was hand tame and uh, landed in our garage and followed Emma in. And, and so we had this little pineapple conya uh, joining us. We named her Alfie because we didn't know it was a girl at the time. And uh, I love birds. My wife has a phobia of birds landing on your head, which is actually a really small percentage chance of happening, unless you have a hand-tamed bird living in your house, in which case it kind of escalates a lot. And, uh, and little Alfie and I kind of bonded. You can see, see us there with the love hearts. It was a lovely relationship. And uh, she became a little, bit, a little bit obsessive. I don't blame her. And all that happened was after about three days, I would, I'd go and sit down on the couch with my morning coffee, like I always do with Emma, and do our devotions, and, and, and would sit next to me, and little Alfie, or she'd sit on this side, and little Alfie would uh, scurry across my shoulders, down my arm, reach out, and bite Emma as hard as she could. It was kind of cute, like in a possessive way. Um, not so much for Emma. And, uh, and I realized at that point um, that this little uninvited guest was going to be an inconvenience for Emma and the tension in the house. Um, before the great ultimatum came, wife or bird, um, someone saw Emma's post on Facebook, you know, lost and found pets, and uh, Dear little Alfie, the girl bird was returned uh, to its owner. And after four or five days of just chaos, the house returned to normal. And I thought to myself, you know, it was kind of a stressful, kind of delightful, but weird period. How much more messy and, and confronting would it have been for Mary those, those 2,000 years ago when uh, she's an unexpected visitor? I'm not talking about the angel, I'm talking about. Uh, baby Jesus, and it wasn't a bird you could just give away. This is a baby that was here to stay, and she would have this baby in her and, and change her life forever. And we're going to pick up the story and hear it uh, through Luke's account. We're going to begin with our first, where our first video started, with the angel talking to Mary. Then we're going to continue the story with the angel talking to the shepherds right through to Christmas Day. So we're rewinding back nine months before Christ, that first Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verses... 28 to 32. The angel went to her, that's Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. How would this happen? That's what I'd be wondering. That's what Mary's wondering. And the angel answers. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's a startling news, isn't it, for, a, for Mary? I mean, she's a teenager. Uh, a teenage nobody, as, as, as pointed out by Simone in our kids' talk. 
uh, a good woman married to a, a good man, Joseph, and kind of nobody's in that community. And she's, she finds out she's going to be pregnant miraculously with this baby. And you've heard Simone talk about all the perks of being a parent already and all the fun that is. But it would have been very confronting. And imagine all those awkward conversations. You know, first starting with your fiancé and then your parents and his parents and then your nosy neighbor and the grandparents and just the list of people for nine months you've got to try to explain this story to. And yet, even with this kind of intimidating nine months ahead of her, Mary doesn't grumble. Mary actually rejoices. We didn't hear it, but she goes on to sing a song and... and she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You've got to ask, what mighty things could God do that would outweigh the awkward, challenging, hard months and years ahead of Mary? What could possibly be such good news that she would delight in this uninvited visitor? And I'm, we're going to go through three, very briefly, three ways in which I think uh, the conception and birth of Jesus is incredible news. And the first one is that God comes as a human baby, humble and vulnerable. Well, changing gears a little and thinking of different royalty, when Queen Elizabeth visits the United States, uh, or any country, but you know, when she visits the United States, uh, a number of years ago, reporters delighted in spelling out the logistical cost involved. Uh, she took with her 1,800 kilos of baggage. That's a, that's a lot. She took with her two outfits for every occasion and a mourning outfit, just in case someone died while she was overseas and she had to dress for mourning. Uh, she took with her 19 liters of plasma in case she ever had an injury or needed uh, blood transfusion. And she took with her, uh, importantly, a white leather toilet seat. I mean, I think you know you've made it when you get to take a white leather toilet seat with you. She brings a hairdresser, two valets, an army of attending uh, security and, and, and people looking after her. And so the co- it would cost something like $20 million for a 10-day trip. But the point is that the queen is trying to show that she has strength and make sure she's not vulnerable. Right? She's, she's showing strength and she's making sure she isn't vulnerable. Because no one likes being vulnerable, do they? I mean, when was the last time you, were, you felt really vulnerable? Have a think. When was it? Maybe it was the last time you went to the dentist. That's probably my last time. Lying there with the weird pair of sunglasses on. Um, sound of a drill going, feel like you're being waterboarded by your own saliva, um, you know, and the dentist is asking how your weekend was, I just don't want to talk about anything right now, just trying to survive. Pretty, pretty vulnerable. Or, or maybe it's not physical vulnerability, it's relational vulnerability. Like trying to make a friend as an adult, if you're not over 30, you don't get it yet. But when you hit 30, it's hard work. It's kind of scary putting yourself out there for new friends. I wonder what's for you. Imagine, you know, you go to the dentist, I go to the dentist, I come back. I might say to Emma, oh, so vulnerable getting those fillings. I was like, I was as vulnerable as a newborn. Or I might say as helpless as a baby, right? I wouldn't say, honey, I was as helpless. I was as vulnerable as God. It doesn't, we don't put those words together, do we? Vulnerable and God. Vulnerable as God. We, we kind of don't do that. And yet that is Christmas. Christmas is when God, God who creates the world with just words, 
What does he do? He, he shrinks down and down and down so small to become an embryo, a cluster of cells inside a nervous teenager in Palestine. I mean, do you ever think of that as an image of God? God who controls countries and, 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 and armies like pawns on a chessboard, a cluster of cells inside a teenager who would later on be born. God born to nobodies, wrapped up in cloth, unable to speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, depending on a young couple for shelter and love and food. I mean, this is an upside-down world, isn't it? When God comes like that. I mean, what is going on? Why would God almighty and powerful, shrink down to be a newborn on planet Earth. And the reason is because whenever God turned up, humans were terrified. You can read through all the Old Testament, and when God turns up, people are afraid. They can't comprehend Him, and they run from Him, or they fall down and shake. They're scared of Him. Because God is so powerful and mighty and, and perfect, and we are so small and weak and imperfect and selfish. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the world, uh, when people meet God, they're afraid. And so God wants to change it. When, uh, when we, we got, decided to get a pet for my, my son, uh, our oldest in our family, we bought him two yabbies. And uh, they were his pets, but the, the tank was pretty empty. And so I decided I would buy a school of neon tetra fish to swim around Thomas's yabby tank. Beautiful little schooling fish, uh, neon tetras. And uh, one of the yabbies was well-behaved and would eat its little yabby pellets. I would feed it every day. The other yabby, unfortunately named Bluey, after the beloved uh, TV character, was a psychopath. And um, it didn't want to eat the pellets. It would lie and wait for a neon tetra to eat for breakfast. And there's just nothing I could do about it. You know, I would feed these little fish every day. I would, I would kind of come over and I'd talk to them and feed them and clean their tank. And when my shadow loomed over the tank, what would they do? They'd flee for cover in the sunken pirate ship, which, of course, was the lair of psychopathic Bluey. And uh, there's just nothing I could do. You know, when they saw me, I was so immense and so big and so, so incomprehensible. I was a deity to them. And so for them, I was just a threat. And if I was ever going to explain, you know, don't go to the sunken pirate ship, Bluey, the, the slayer of neon tetras, lives there, I would have to shrink myself down and become a fish and explain that in fish language to them. But of course, I was scared of Bluey as an adult, uh, so I was not going to do that. But you see, the distance between me and a fish is nothing compared to the distance between God and humanity, and that's exactly what God does. He realizes that when he comes close to us, we run in fear. So what does God do? He shrinks down to become a human, to speak human, to be here with us, to bridge that gap so that we don't have to feel afraid of him. And so he comes as what? Not a whirlwind, not a fire, not thunderous voice. He comes as a tiny, helpless newborn. That humanity might understand him, have relationship with him, and not be afraid. And see, that's the first thing that I think is so incredible about Christmas. The reason to rejoice, why Mary rejoices, is because God is going to draw near. In this upside-down world, God Almighty comes humble and small and weak that we might know him. 
And that shows how much he cares for us, right? You, you, don't, give, uh, you don't become um, vulnerable for no reason. You become vulnerable when you need to for certain important reasons or for important people in your life. That's when you show vulnerability. You might say, how do I know God loves me or cares about me? The profoundness of his vulnerability reflects the immensity of his love. And how vulnerable would you be? I don't think you'd be as vulnerable as God is to go from heaven and glory down to the dusty earth to be hurt and to be vulnerable, to be rejected physically and relationally. But he does it because he loves you. And if you want a relationship with God, we respond the same way. We are, we are vulnerable and humble. We come to Jesus and say that we'll make him our king and we're humble before him and we're vulnerable. You can look after me and control my life, Jesus, because you're my king. Which is my second point. So the first is that God comes, he comes humble and, and human and vulnerable. The second one is that Jesus comes as an everlasting king. Let's, let's get back into the gospel and read. We're still with the angel talking to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is going to be a great king. Uh, why will he be great? Well, many reasons. We could do a whole sermon series for a term on it. But he's going to be great because he shows how to live abundant life. He's going to be great because he brings hope and healing. He's going to be great because he bridges the gap between us and God. You heard that. But there's another reason he's going to be great. The greatest of all kings and greater than any human leader. And as I thought about greatness and, and leadership, I thought about who, who are, who is regarded as the greatest leader in Australian politics? Like, if you list out the greatest prime minister, and, and thankfully Wikipedia tells you. Um, a few years ago, there was a big survey done. Uh, they, commissioned, uh, they commissioned 300 uh, social, social scientists, political scientists, and these are the three. I wonder if you can recognize any of them. I was looking for ScoMo or Kevin07. Um, uh, clearly, you could smoke pipes back then and, and in the media. Does anyone recognize those faces or guess them? Hands up for all three. Wow, I, I knew none of them. I can read the names out for you. And number one was Ben Chifley. Never heard of him. Number two, John Curtin. Never heard of him. Number three, Alfred Deacon. Someone said it. Good work. I had no idea. At this point, I was like, is this the Austrian Wikipedia page? Or am I in the wrong country? And you scroll down, eventually get to Kevin Rudd and, and the rest of them. But number th top three by a long way. I felt a bit let down that I didn't know them. But what do they have in common besides being the three greatest prime ministers of Australian history and unknown by Peter Davies? They're all deceased. In fact, anyone who voted for them is probably deceased. I mean, it's hard to say that, but it's true. I mean, not quite true. Uh, if, you, if you voted for Ben Chifley and you're just 18, you're now 96. We actually have some 96-year-olds in our church. Uh, John Curtin, you would be 100. We actually have a 100-year-old in our church. If you voted for Alfred Deacon, you are a respectable 132. Um, so if you're still here, good on you. Uh, but they've all passed away. Great leaders still pass away. People who vote for them, people who follow them, people who trust them still pass away. And, and yet that's different to Jesus. Listen to this. The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This kingdom will never end. You see, Jesus' kingship never ends. He's a great leader and he's an eternal king eternal leader. 
That's kind of an incredible part of his kingship. And Jesus will, will die. We celebrate that at Easter, his death and resurrection. But he'll rule, and one day he'll come back again. But he has an eternal kingdom. And, and the best part about his kingship is that for those who follow him, for those who trust him, he brings them into his eternal kingdom forever. Uh, he conquers their death just as he's conquered his death. And that's the second reason that Jesus is incredible and the news of Christmas is incredible. Here is a God who comes human, humble and vulnerable, but he's also the eternal king. And lastly, he's approachable for all. Think about royal births, um, and I think of Prince George, Kate and William's baby, born 22nd of July uh, 2013, uh, there in London at St. Mary's Hospital, and you can just see the forest of cameras outside, you know, queued out there for days waiting for the news, and they came out with this, this little baby, uh, Prince George, and, and just thousands of people waiting to see a glimpse of him. Uh, big barriers and security holding the crowds back, the cameras are back. Uh, there was a 21-gun salute in the park nearby, so everyone would know that uh, the baby had been born, uh, the London Eye changed its colours to, to red, white, and blue in, in, kind of in, in recognition of his birth. Uh, at Buckingham Palace, there's this huge queue for hours. You'd queue up only to get two-second glimpse at what, you ask? What would you queue for hours to get a two-second glimpse before security moved you on? It was the birth announcement on a little golden easel. That's, that's what they're queuing for, just to see this piece of paper. Um, You'll see it in the next slide. And imagine that, queuing for all those hours to see that. What's the theme here? The theme is fame and crowds, publicity, and zero access. No access. Security, steel barriers, locked doors, protective parents, they stand in your way. I mean, there's, there's a big giant fence in the way just of the announcement. Jesus is different. Jesus is approachable. I think about that. That's what the shepherds teach us. Who are the first guests invited to come and meet him? They're shepherds, ordinary people on the night shift out looking after sheep. And they're invited to come and meet this royal baby and get a cuddle. What, what do the angels say to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. Not some people, not rich people. All people, all people. Again, this is the world being turned upside down, isn't it? Who gets to come close to God? All people, any person. Anyone can have access to God. And so these shepherds, these nobodies, can come right up to the manger and see this baby. God come as man. And that would set the tone for Jesus' entire life. All are welcome to Jesus. Just as the shepherds were welcome. And the wise men were welcome. All are welcome. No one is turned away. In the Gospels, we find no one being turned away for a conversation from Jesus. Where no one's too rich, no poor, too poor, no one's too young, no one's too old, no one's too sick. No one's too religious, no one's too irreligious. Everyone is welcome to come to Jesus. He's never too busy, and that's still the case. Christmas reminds us that Jesus shows God is approachable. God is approachable. God is more approachable than royalty in our world. God is more approachable than the Prime Minister of Australia. Let that sink in. God who creates the universe 
who comes as a human is more approachable than, than, than politicians in our world. And you can pray to him whenever you want. And he would he'd delight to hear you pray. And we're going to think about prayer for the rest of summer. And so if you'd like to know what it means to approach God and talk to God, well, next Sunday morning and next Sunday night and for the rest of the summer, we're going to think about prayer in our church and how we can approach God anytime, anywhere, and how he loves to listen to us. At Christmas, we're reminded of a few things. Uh, the angels come and bring good news. That's really a, a, a news of invitation. Uh, Mary would worship and delight in this news. The, the shepherds would travel to meet God. And the question each Christmas is, what are we going to do with this news? We've just heard that God is humble and approachable and yet eternal and, and, and inviting into his kingdom. What will you do with that? Will you be like the shepherds? And will you run to his side and, and talk to him and celebrate him? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for Luke's account. We ask that this Christmas we would celebrate how approachable you came as, as, as human when you sent your son. That we can access you through Christ in prayer at any time. Father, we thank you so much that unlike the royalty of this world, steel barriers and security do not stand between us and you. Unlike the, the kings and rulers of this world, your kingdom is eternal. Christ rules on his throne forever and that you offer eternal life. Father, we thank you that Mary celebrated when she found out about Jesus. We pray that we would celebrate too. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.